you have your Bible, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. It will also be printed for me, uh, for you on the screen behind me or also in your bulletin this morning. As you're turning to that passage, I want to tell you about a story or a video I actually saw on Facebook. It's been a few months ago, but it was something, and I think you'll see why. It was a video that really um, was striking. It really stood out to me. And it was the, the scene was a group of family and friends on the top of one of these rooftop restaurants or bars. But it wasn't extremely high. It was high, four stories, but not, you know, not a skyscraper kind of high. Four stories up, and they're uh, having drinks. They're uh, eating good food and having the time of their life. And you can tell it's very festive. And at one point, this guy stands up, and he walks over, and he's kind of near the ledge. And he dings his glass and says, can I have your attention? Can I have your attention? I've got a really important announcement to make. He looks at all of his family and friends, and he says, you know, I've been dating my girlfriend, Brooke, for quite some time, and the time has come for me to ask that very important question. And you see Brooke, she's cupping her face and tears are rolling down her cheeks. She's excited. This is one of the moments in her life that she has been waiting for. And at that point, the guy looks at his friend and he says, Bobby, ring please. And Bobby pulls, puts his hand in his pocket and pulls out this engagement ring and he tosses it to his friend. And his friend, who's near the ledge, is... It go, he tosses it over his head and he's trying to catch this ring and falls over the ledge. And this party that's very festive, all of a sudden people are screaming in all-out horror and tragedy. And they all walk over to the ledge and the, his girlfriend, Brooke, who's cupping her face, they all look over the ledge and there's the guy with legs crossed, arms behind him on this huge, you know, one of those fire pillow things that you jump onto it was this huge air mattress and he was laying there and it had this huge sign Brooke will you marry me now that's a horrible way to propose (laughs) I don't recommend it but you know these engagement stories if you haven't been paying attention it gets bigger and bigger and everyone tries to do outdo everyone else but I do not recommend this she did say yes by the way but I want you to think about something for me just for a second this girl on one of the most exciting times in her life was expecting all of her family and friends are there it was romantic she had a great view from this rooftop in the midst of family and friends and she was expecting to get engaged and it to be something like she had never experienced in her life. And instead, her boyfriend came and totally blew that up. He blew up those expectations. And instead of getting that, she got something totally different than she was not expecting. Why do I tell you that story? Well, because Jesus is doing something very similar in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We have these expectations of what it means to show love and mercy to the people around us, to people that are in need. 
And Jesus comes and blows those expectations to bits. He drops a bomb on those expectations and gives us something totally different. And he does it by telling us this insane story. This life-altering, crazy story about love and mercy called the Good Samaritan. Friends, it's a famous story. A very famous story. And some of you have been listening to this story your entire life. And the danger is that this becomes so familiar to us that it just simply goes in one ear and out the, order, and, and out the other this morning. And I pray that doesn't happen. Because Jesus is doing something radical. This is one of the most radical things that Jesus has ever said. And so as we get into the passage this morning, I hope this rattles all of us. Stirs us up in a very good way. So follow along with me as I read this very jarring passage. In Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is God's word. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, and leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise the Levite. When he came to, that, to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went out to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out 200 denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to this man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I pray that through this passage... that you would take this word and that you would apply it uh, to our hearts. It's a strong passage. And I pray that you tell us that your word revives our soul and gives us life and is sweeter than honey. And so even though this is a very strong passage, I pray that it would be life-giving to us this morning and it would actually leave us changed, uh, changed as we leave here this morning. Would you do that through your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. We have been, uh, we're right in between a series. We finished up the Gospel of John at the end of 
January, we will be starting, we'll be going to the Old Testament and doing a series on the life of David starting September the 10th. But we have been, uh, so in between those, we decided to do something on kind of our vision or our mission statement, uh, if you will. Basically, just reviewing who we are uh, as a church and what we're all about. And if you remember, I started the series in Galatians chapter 2 by simply just saying that we want people to come here on Sunday mornings, and there's lots of things that we could fill you up with. We could fill you up with self-help. We could tell you to go be a better person. We could tell you self-sufficiency. You've got this. You can do it. But no, we want to be a church that fills you up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we believe that's the foundation of all churches, but it's definitely the foundation of our church. And we want to take that from this place, the gospel, out there. We want to take it to our friends and to our neighbors and co-workers and into our schools. And if you remember, I said the danger for our church, but again, not just our church, really for all churches, is that you just come here and we're one big happy family and we learn a lot and we feel good and we experience community and we sing some really great songs and we just keep it to ourselves. We hide our light under a bushel, so to speak. And if we do that, we miss the whole point of Christianity. Because the gospel is meant what? You come here, but you go back out on mission. You go back out and you take the gospel to the city. And if we don't do that, if we come here and we simply keep it to ourselves, it can only mean one thing. It can only mean that we really don't understand the gospel. Because you see, the gospel at its very heart, truly understood, always pushes us out towards mission. To use the word of our mission statement, to extend the kingdom of God in the world. And particularly in our city. The good news, when it's believed, and when it's taken to heart, moves you outward towards very practical deeds of mercy in the community. The gospel always involves a radical reorienting and redirecting of a person's life towards the needs of other people. And the question is, what does that look like? Well, Luke chapter 10 shows us a picture of what that looks like and what the gospel of grace should be doing in us. What it should be doing in us corporately as a church, but also individually this morning. And so let's look at three things this morning in this passage. We're going to look at the story of mercy, we're going to look at the application of mercy, and then lastly, the way of mercy. And so first, I just want to tell you the story. Secondly, so what? And thirdly, how in the world are we ever to love the way God has called us to love? So let's look at number one, the story of mercy. And I just want to walk through this story. So the story opens when Jesus is talking to a lawyer. When we think lawyer, we think Judge Judy. (laughs) We think a courtroom. That's not what he's talking about. That's not the kind of lawyer this is. This is a biblical lawyer. In other words, this is a seminary professor. This is a Bible scholar or Bible teacher. Someone who would have been well versed uh, in the Bible and in the law. He studied it. He knew it like the back of his hand. And the context for this is Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God and about the law. 
But he's also been doing what? Hanging out with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors. And this man is trying to trap Jesus and reveal him as a fraud. Look at verse 25. So the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what he's expecting to hear from from Jesus is like following Jesus means that you don't have to worry about the law, that you can just do whatever you want. That's kind of what he's hoping Jesus would say so he can say, ha ha, I got you. But that's not what happens. Jesus responds and says, basically, this is, it, the feel is like, well, you're the Bible teacher. Don't you know what is written in the law? And the guy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. But the man seeks clarity. The man's thinking, surely by neighbor, he doesn't mean everyone. I mean, surely there's a limit to who my neighbor is. Surely he's just meaning the people that are just like me. And so he asks, as he's seeking to justify himself. And he says, okay, but who, who is my neighbor again? I just want to make sure that I'm good because I think I really am good and I'm loving the people I'm supposed to love. And then Jesus launches into that question, launches into this very graphic, and I want to say it is a very graphic story. And he tells this story about a man who's walking between Jericho and Jerusalem. And this would have been a road that many uh, priests and the Levites traveled on a regular basis because Jericho was called the city of priests. It's where the pastors live. It's where the assistant pastors live. But not only was it the city, the path that priests and Levites would travel regularly, it was also a very violent street. It was known for people getting mugged and beaten and robbed. It actually had a nickname, and it was called the Path of Blood. And so the scenario that Jesus is giving us here, it's not just something he's pulling out of thin air. This would have really happened. This was a common scenario on this road. And so he talks about this man, and this man had been mugged and brutally beaten. He had been stripped naked, if you look at the passage, and left half dead, laying in the fetal position on the side of the road, barely breathing, totally helpless. Why is Jesus going into such graphic detail at this point? Well, he's going into so much detail because he wants every single person in this room to imagine yourself as that man. Imagine yourself. And if you can't imagine yourself, imagine your mom or your dad or someone in your family as that man this morning. That's what Jesus is wanting us to do. Get into the story. He's wanting you to understand and feel what it would be like to be this man. Because unless you feel what it would be like, then you'll never be someone who shows mercy to other people. Let's keep going. And so this man is laying there, half dead, fetal position, eyes, because he's been beaten so severely, are almost swollen completely shut. And he can barely see out of the slits of his eyes that are swollen. And he sees a priest 
And inside, he's like, yes, a priest. This is their job. This is what they're supposed to do. And he's thinking, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to live. Because here comes a pastor. And he makes eye contact with this pastor. And the pastor looks away. And starts to redirect his course and go on the opposite side of the road. Well, he's laying there for a few minutes longer. And then comes a Levite who would have been an assistant pastor. And he says, an assistant pastor. But the assistant pastor basically comes and he's on his way to a small group. Because he's got to teach God's word. And there are people depending on him. And he doesn't want to let them down. And he doesn't have time to stop. And so he does the exact same thing. He goes to the opposite side of the road and continues to walk by. And then the lawyer, at this point, he is expecting and thinking for Jesus to say, and then came a good Jewish man. A good Jewish man like yourself. And he was the one who stopped and helped this man. That's the way the story was supposed to go. And then Jesus, at just this point, does the unthinkable. He introduces a hated Samaritan into the story. And friends, to those that were hearing, overhearing this story, and Jesus talked to this man, there would have been an audible gasp in the room. Because Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Hated more than the... Jews hated them more than they hated Gentiles because they were considered half-breed Jews. And there's lots more to say about that. But you need to know there was no one more objectionable in their world for a Jew than a Samaritan. And to make the point, think about how the lawyer at the end, remember when he says, which of these three? He can't even say the name, Samaritan. He says, the one who showed Mercy. So Jesus is looking at this lawyer and says, yeah, you know who showed him mercy? The guy you absolutely hate. The guy who you completely cannot stand. He is the one that stopped and took care of him, got down on his donkey, helped him, bandaged his wounds, put his life at risk, took him to an inn, paid money for this man to be taken care of. That's the one who stopped and helped him. And then Jesus asked, well, which one is my neighbor? Or the man asked, who is my neighbor? And the lawyer replies, the one who showed mercy. Again, I can't describe how mind-blowing this would have been. Because in that day, they had a very narrow view of who their neighbor was. For this man, his neighbor was just simply other Jews that were just like him. And Jesus blows to bits that expectation and says, No, your neighbor is not just the Jews that are just like you. Your neighbor is every single person that you come in contact with. Everyone. That's who your neighbor is. Yes. Everyone. People that are of a different race than you. People that are of a different political party than you. 
People that have different sexual preferences than you. People who hate your God. People who can't stand your privilege. People who are outsiders. And then he looks at this man and he looks at us and says, You care about the Bible? You say you're a people of the Bible? Then go and do likewise. Go and show mercy to those who even you hate and those that even hate you. And then Jesus, you've heard me say this, this is a mic drop moment. He drops the mic. And he walks off stage. Secondly, so what? And I want to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the bad thing about being a preacher is I've got to deal with this before you deal with this. <laughs> and the bad thing about being a preacher is that I've got to say things that everyone else is thinking, but you never have to say it. <laughs> and I want to tell you, it's been a hard week. This has hit me right between the eyes. And the reason why is because I don't like this. I don't like what Jesus calls us to because I want to be comfortable. And so what does this mean? Well, the first thing that I think is so convicting that we are to take away from this is that this totally changes the way we think about what it means to be a Christian. Okay, think about this with me. The lawyer and the religious leaders, they knew the law. <laughs> they knew their Bibles better than we do. They were the Bible answer mans in their small group. They knew it. They were in their Sunday school and kingdom community saying, I know the answer to that question. They had great theology, but they did not have Jesus. And what it shows us is that Christians... To be a Christian, it's more than just getting the right answer on a quiz and knowing where to find it in the Bible. Being a Christian means that you have the heart of God in you. And that you love what God loves. And that we care about what God cares about. And that we're passionate about what God is passionate about. And if you would have asked this lawyer and you would have said, tell me all the verses on mercy in the Bible where God talks about he has a heart for widows and orphans and foreigners and outsiders. He could have named them, enlisted them, but he didn't have it in his heart, and the pastors did not either. And if that doesn't shake us this morning, we do not have a pulse. Because it should rattle us to our core. Because he is, it, what we're learning here is that you can know a lot about Jesus and not really know Jesus. And so how do you know if you know Jesus? Well, you know if you know Jesus, if you love what Jesus loves. You love what God loves. What does God love? He loves broken people. That's what God loves. And you see it all over the scriptures. And it's shocking how much it shows up in the Bible. About God's ear being bent low to hear. And his, uh, he's moving towards his heart being bent towards who? 
the widow and the orphan and the sick and the lonely and the people that have absolutely no one. That's the very heart of God. And if you're still not convinced, I want you to go home this afternoon and to read Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 put me in the fetal position this week. And if you dare to step into Matthew 25, it might put you in the fetal position as well. You remember Matthew chapter 25? It's the day of judgment. Jesus is saying it's the day of judgment where I'm going to separate the Christians from the non-Christians, the sheep from the goats. And then the question becomes, well, how in the world are you going to do that, Jesus? And then Jesus says this to those who feed the hungry, those who were thirsty and you gave them a drink, or those who were strangers, you invited them in, or those that were naked and had no clothes, you gave them clothes. Those who were in prison or sick, you visited them. Those are the ones I will say, come. Come with me into eternal life and receive your inheritance. And then he says, those who fail to meet brokenness with mercy. Those who just simply walk on by, he says, and it's in there. He will send to eternal fire. I want to be careful because Jesus is not saying that this is how you justify yourself before God. Let's be clear. How are you saved? By grace alone, through faith alone. You have nothing to do with this. So this is not a good work and then God will love you. No, no, no. You've missed it. But Jesus is saying here that the proof of whether or not we've received mercy from Jesus is found in how you and I treat other people. That is the test of Christianity. And you know what that means? It means this. As good as our theology is, and I think it's good, it's worthless if it does not change the way we treat other people. And so who are we going to love this week? Who are we going to move out from this place and show mercy to? And you might be thinking of tons of people. Yes, I want to do this, Jason. I want to do what God's called me to do. And before we go there, we need to talk about the cost because it will cost you. To show mercy will cost us. But friends, if we're ever going to be a church where people on this community look on the outside and say, mercy is overflowing out of that place. I don't know what's happening because they love people so well. If that's ever going to happen, it's going to cost us big time. And it's going to cause us to have to get messy and start bandaging wounds. Because it cost the Samaritan, didn't it? Look at verses 34 through 35. It might cost us our security. Or our comfort. This, what this man did was risky. He had to get down off of his donkey and help this Samaritan. And the robbers were probably still close by. He didn't know if he was going to be next. Because you see, it cost us comfort. And Jesus always pushes us to places that we don't naturally want to go. 
It might cost us time. Did you think about the Samaritan probably had a schedule to keep. He had his planner, his Google calendar. He had things to do and meetings to go to and appointments and people to see. Was this disruptive to his day? Absolutely it was. It cost him an entire day to spend time and to take care of this man. It also cost him financially. He goes and pays for this innkeeper to take care of this man. And then out the door he says, put it on my tab. Anything that it costs, put it on my tab. Many of you remember the Boston Marathon's uh, bombing a couple of years ago. But if you remember when all of that was going down, there was this car chase where they were chasing. There were two brothers that did it, and they were chasing this older brother, and the cops end up killing the older brother who committed uh, this act of terrorism. And there was lots of uh, really complications uh, immediately following that, if you remember, because they had to bury this guy. And there wasn't a town anywhere close that wanted anything to do with this guy. No one, no cemetery wanted to take him and actually bury this brother on their property. But there was a Christian woman named Martha Mullen. You remember this? No connection to the family. Didn't know him at all. She starts making all of these phone calls. And finally, through a lot of behind-the-scenes work, she finds a cemetery for this terrorist to be buried in. She's being interviewed on NPR. And in the interview, they, the person that was on NPR said, you know how unpopular this is, what you have done? What in the world would motivate you to do such a thing? To get involved in this way? You know what her response was? Jesus said we are to love our enemies. The follow-up question was, okay, but do you realize, Martha, that you are putting yourself in danger for what you have done? Her response, Jesus made it very clear that my aim in life is not to be comfortable. Here's a Christian. This is what God's calling us to. To love our enemies and to love the people around us in such a way that it it might actually mess with our safety. You see, we want to be that kind of community. We want to be a community that moves out into the world in that way. And at the very least, it means putting ourselves out there and making ourselves uncomfortable and looking for places in our city and in our communities that we can meet real needs and serve other people. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable. And yes, it's going to invade our privacy, and that's one I don't like. And yes, it's going to come and put demands on us and force us to live in a different way, in very sacrificial and costly ways and even painful ways. But I think what Jesus is saying is if that's not happening, we're not feeling that, then we're probably not loving people the way Jesus has called us to love in Luke chapter 10. Lastly, anybody need Jesus yet? Do you need Jesus? Because if if you don't need Jesus yet, you have not been listening 
because it leads us to this thing. How in the world are we to do this? I mean, this seems impossible. And you know what we could do at this point? We could just say, and it actually happens a lot of times with this parable. People stop after point two, and they say, go love your neighbor. Go be a better neighbor. Go be nicer. Go be a good Samaritan. And I don't know about you, but if we were to stop here, that would be crushing. That would crush us. And so the question is, what in the world are we to do? Well, very briefly, think about it this way. Think about Jesus in this parable. He could have told this any way that he wanted to. Right? He's the teller of the story. So he could have said to this Jewish man, he could have said, there was a Samaritan on the side of the road, beaten and bloodied, and this nice Jewish man came and helped him and got his life back on track. To which the Jewish man, the lawyer, would have probably said, no, that's actually dumb, because that's not not what would have happened. Because Jews hate Samaritans, and so what would have happened is the Jewish man would have walked up to the Samaritan, stepped on him possibly, and kept walking. That's the way the story would have gone. Jesus switches the roles in the story and says, no, 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 the Jewish man is the guy on the side of the road that has been beaten and bloodied and naked and left to die. And it's a Samaritan who comes and stops and takes care of him. And Jesus looks at the lawyer and he looks at every single one of us this morning and he says, what if you're the guy on the side of the road? What if that's you? Beaten and bloodied and your life is falling apart and your only hope is an act of free grace from someone who is supposed to have nothing but hostility towards you. What if that's you? And you see, Jesus is trying to tell us in this story that it is you. We are the person on the side of the road. And unless we get that and realize that, then we're never going to be people of mercy because people of mercy know that they have received mercy. And some of you, maybe you've thought about this parable and perhaps you thought of it on the way walking in or maybe you still think that right now. No, I think I'm the good neighbor. I would have stopped and helped this man. I'm the good Samaritan in the story. And with all due respect, if you think that, you've totally missed the point of the parable. Because the point of the parable is that we are the person on the side of the road. And friends, you have been beaten and bruised and battered You have been stripped naked by sin, the Bible says. And your only hope is an act of free grace from a God who should have nothing but hostility to you because of the ways you have rebelled against him. And God in his free grace said, while we were still sinners, Christ died. Think about the hostility that Jesus marched headlong into and the way he bandaged our wounds and entered into our mess and it cost him more than money. It cost him more than his time. It actually cost him his life. 
See, Jesus is the good and true and better good Samaritan, isn't he? You see, if we're ever going to be a good neighbor, we need a good neighbor. If we're ever going to show mercy, we must receive mercy. Friends, if we're ever going to be a church that shows mercy, we must drink so deeply of God's goodness and grace. And when we do that, it's not so that we can keep it to ourselves. But rightly understood, it pushes us out into the world to show that same grace and mercy to a needy world. And we do that because of how gracious and good and merciful Jesus has been with us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for having mercy on us through Jesus. We confess now and admit that our hearts are often cold towards other people. That we often make an idol out of our own comfort. Lord, would you um, come and meet with us? We ask that you would make us compassionate people. That we would realize that while we were helpless, you moved towards us. And may that go deep into our hearts so that we might move out into the world in mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.